Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. joined in the studio by a special guest oh, yeah? uh, rocket the cat is here oh good our producer yes our producer is a cat so last week on misconduct we discussed the murder of 10 women in south los angeles that spanned over 20 years little was done on the part of lapd to investigate and solve the killings that had been tied together with the same gun since the 80s and tied together with an unidentified dna match since 2005 in 2010, a controversial familial, hard time saying that, DNA search was conducted on the statewide uh, felons database and returned a hit on a male relative. This gave police a hit on a potential suspect pool for the first time during the investigation. <clears throat> this week, we will discuss how the police identified and arrested the man who eluded capture for over 20 years. Right, so <clears throat> on July 5th, 2010, uh, LAPD had zeroed in on the person that they believed was responsible for all these slayings that had taken place in South LA. And uh, they, you know, as we know, dubbed him the Grim Sleeper. So once the DNA, partial DNA match had kind of drew a family tree, they zeroed in, they got the hit on Christopher Franklin and drew his family tree, zeroed in on his dad. Um, and his name is Lonnie David Franklin Jr. It's a little bit of a tongue twister mm. for me. Um, <laughs> he was headed to John's Incredible Pizza in Buena Park for a family party, and he was being tailed by LAPD detectives. They had been waiting for the perfect opportunity to try and get some of his DNA so they could conclusively match the DNA found on the victims to him. They're basically suspect. Mm. Um... And one LAPD officer, disguised as a busboy, <laughs> went into the party room. It's, John's Incredible Pizza is like uh, like a Chuck E. Cheese for teenagers. Right. Yeah. Arcade games. I had a birthday party there once. Oh, <laughs> um, did you? I did. Oh, no way. And Chino. Uh, they, uh, he dressed up, they had an LAPD officer dress up like a busboy and go in and basically take his plate from him, clear his plate, like as if he was just cleaning up. Yeah. There's like footage um, security camera footage that you can find of, the sting of it, operation. and like I said, it reminds me of a Law and Order episode. Totally like, does. They like undercover, like this is your time to shine, man. Go in there, you get that pizza crust. So, 
you got this, John. You got this. You can do this. So basically, they bagged the pizza crust and sent it off to the lab. Two days later, LAPD descends on Lonnie's home in South LA. They bring the cavalry out and they do the whole show. Shocking on. Yeah, shocking yeah. on. The tr- you know how they tow those trailers with mm-hmm. like forensic evidence or forensic tools and stuff mm-hmm. to collect evidence? They bring it all. Um, he's arrested and charged with 10 counts of murder. So let's talk about who he is just because, you know, he eluded capture for so long. And now we finally have a name and a person and a background. So Lonnie David Franklin Jr. was born August 30th, 1952. Um, he was born and raised in the South LA neighborhood. He was arrested in. he was raised in the house that he lived in. It was his parents' house before it was his. Mm-hmm. Uh, He served in the military in the 1970s before heading back to L.A. where he got married and raised two children. Uh, His wife's name is Sylvia Franklin. She worked for L.A. Unified School District in the superintendent's office. And as far as I know, she still works there. She might have since retired, but the time she worked there and she worked there as he was arrested in the subsequent pretrial and trial phase. Mm -hmm. Um, At the time he was arrested... He had 15 previous convictions with no DNA evidence collected. Now, to 15. be fair, right? <laughs> and we discussed last week how uh, when you're arrested for a felon felony charge, you're supposed to have your DNA taken. Uh, to be fair, some of these arrests may have preceded the 2004 cutoff when they started doing that. So he may have been arrested for a felony before that. Right. Um, but I believe he was arrested since then this charge notwithstanding um but some of the things that he had been arrested for were theft battery and assault and false imprisonment so he had a record so he had a record he had a record that went back yeah uh and we'll find out how far it goes back actually it goes back farther than they originally believed um interesting note he actually worked as a mechanic for the lapd and he also worked for city sanitation and because of this, he was at the time, because he was retired when he was arrested, but he still is collecting pensions from the city of Los Angeles from behind bars. Wow. So let me talk about the pension thing. How does that happen? Like, <laughs> wouldn't that be one of the first things to go? I thought maybe it would. I mean, I don't know how that works. Like, I guess I guess you still get your pension. You put in the work, so you get your pension. Yeah. Um, you killed 10 people. It seems. But... Okay, fair enough. But what's a bit more troubling to me is how did he get a job... With the LAPD? With the LAPD in the city. I mean, I... So, once upon a time, I wanted to actually be in law enforcement. And I I remember this. Yeah, and I know we're, you know, 20 20 years later or whatever, but I I went through a very rigorous background check because I wanted to be dispatched. Yeah. So, I go through the same background check as, you know... I went through, take take that back, I went through the same background check as a police officer would. Now, okay, maybe a mechanic for the police department or for this, you know, working for the city, you may not have that intense of a background, but if he had 15 prior arrests and he still managed to get a job, not only with the city, but with uh, LAPD, I mean, again, I know things weren't necessarily digitized, but they still had a record and nothing was like... How did that happen? I think it's just another like egg on the face for the LAPD. Right. I, I mean, he's right there. He's he's works with you. You yeah. know. 
So uh, that was just kind of, I, I remember being, like, there's so many parts of this case where I'm just like floored a little bit. It's very, yeah, flabbergasted, like, oh, right? You're like, what yeah, uh, is happening? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> but besides that, he was actually, in terms of just where he lived, he was a well-known fixture in his neighborhood. Um, a lot of people, when they talked about him, he was considered to be nice and helpful, actually, even. If you needed something, you asked him for it and you didn't ask how he got it but he could help you out mm. uh a lot of people were shocked that he was arrested for these crimes um and even though he was considered to be like a nice person people would be like you know he's really nice he's kind of like a dirty old man or kind of like a pervert but he's nice enough like people overwhelmingly were like he's nice enough but he did have kind of a reputation of being like a pervy old guy kind of like a pervy old guy yeah uh he carried around uh, pictures of naked women in sexually explicit poses. He had them in his car. He'd have them like on his person, like so mostly nice. just like I, I like the impression that I got was like porn mm-hmm. or women that he had dated. Um, in kind of a more disturbing turn, police actually recovered a thousand over a thousand pictures of women in various straight states of undress. Some of them look like they're not even conscious. Um, some of them looked like they're dead, were recovered from his garage, which is where he kind of kept some of his trophies. So as far as I understand, a lot of the pictures that he had around his house or he had in his car were not that graphic right. or disturbing. Probably just more like... I assume... I, I got the impression it was more like porn almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just suggestive poses and mm-hmm. dress or states yeah. of undress probably, yeah. Police would actually release a collection of uh, 181 photos of women, basically just like a giant grid of them, like mm-hmm. a poster grid of 181 women asking if anybody knew who they were because they were unable to identify them. They don't know anything about them. If they're alive and they just had their picture taken, if they are deceased and missing. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, so six years later almost seven, uh, 30 remain unidentified. Uh, one of his friends actually said, in hindsight, Lonnie had let him see things uh, almost on purpose. Like, he kept handcuffs in his car, and he would just, like, it, it, his friend said that it felt like he was, like, allowing him to see these things, quote, on accident, like, maybe encouraging him almost to ask, like, what is that for? So, like I said, handcuffs in his car, uh, a gun that would later be identified as the weapon used in the murders. Uh, he saw that too, 25 caliber weapon. Um, pictures of women in his home, like I said, they'd be scattered around where his wife would be able to find him. And that was notable to his friend because he was saying, you know, his wife was considered to be like a very upstanding citizen. She worked for the school district. She yeah. was very active, as from what I gather, in her church. Right. And it's not like if she was living in the house with him, it's not like she would not see these pictures on his coffee table. Yeah, so know. it's a bit strange that she would, I don't know the right word, is put up with, right. with that. Right. People that. thought it was strange that she put up with it, basically. Yeah. Um, they said that it almost felt like he wanted to be caught or he was, like, encouraging questions. Yeah, or maybe it was, like, a, I don't know, wanted to show off, maybe, like... You know, like I have the secret. Yeah, that you don't like know. look what I. You know, it's probably like a little you know excitement for himself. Like, I, I, yeah, maybe yeah. something like that. Yeah, but um, you know, maybe if they actually released some of this information twenty years ago, said friend, whether he would have done anything with the info or not, 
this guy, you know, could have been like, oh, well, I know a guy who, you know, like with Anitra, the surviving right. victim. She remember he took pictures of her, <clears throat> 25 caliber gun. They had a sketch. Um, you know, maybe he would have had a chance to be like, put that together and go, mm-hmm. oh, wow. Well, oh, my Lonnie, God. Yeah. Yeah. Has a 25 caliber gun. Looks like this guy and has pictures of women. Right. So. Anyway. Yeah. It's so much like coulda, shoulda, woulda type right. of on the part of, you know, the LAPD. Uh, after his arrest, actually, it was revealed that while he was in the military, so back in the 70s, he was arrested for the sexual assault of a teenage girl in Germany. Um, she was waiting at a train station when a car pulled up with three men in it, including Lonnie, and they forced her into the car and raped her at knife point. And Lonnie took pictures of her similar to what he did with Anitra in 1988. Um, as far as I could research, he spent some time in the brig. I was having trouble nailing down exactly how much or what kind of the sentencing was. Yeah, well, I found... Um an article and uh, he was actually sentenced to three years and four months oh okay um, however he only oh. served he served less than a year oh my gosh and he got a you know general discharge a general not dishonorable not uh, well so, obviously yeah, not yeah. honorable so he had a general discharge from the military like you weren't really great you weren't really <clears throat> bad we're just gonna let you go yeah and okay. uh, so he served less than a year but the other people involved in the crime the other guys uh, they all got four years and served their time really yeah. Um, so I just found that kind of interesting, too, that I don't know how it works with the military, but like. I don't either. Yeah, no record of that either. Yeah, I don't know how that record. Like, mm, I mean, it happened I in know. Germany, I know, right? So. Yeah, yeah, but he was punished within the military. American law. military. Yeah. I don't know. So, how but that yeah, works. he did serve less than a year. Sentenced to three, serve less than a year. <laughs> God. It, he seems, we'll see, kind of to be the, like, luckiest guy in terms of just like circumstances that just work out in his favor like this i mean uh it's it's crazy uh the the woman though who was assaulted actually came from germany to testify in his murder trial which i thought it was nice that she got you know a day in court Mm -hmm. um i mean i guess she got i don't know how again military trials work but you know she's seeing him serve time yeah basically a bit more justice Um, for her as far as the arrest goes, he was, you know, arrested at his home and the police turned it upside down. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the interrogation, he, his questioning was so interesting. I ended up finding some YouTube videos online of basically like the recording is like a camera up in the, in the interrogation room mm-hmm. online. And it was so interesting. Um, again, we'll link it on our website. We'll have all sorts of links uh, for you guys. He seemed very calm i mean i guess i don't know like are you supposed to like freak out or whatever how do you react right but he was polite too was the other thing that was notable he was a little nervous maybe like he was like i don't really know why i'm here guys like interesting it was very weird to see so um it's hard to hear what he's saying in the video it's a lot easier to hear what the police are saying but you can kind of see his demeanor they're telling him you know we have all these women. They're showing him pictures. They're flipping over pictures of their faces. Yeah. And showing them, you know, we have your DNA on this woman's body and this woman's body and this woman's body. And he acknowledges the connection. Like, wow, that's really strange. I don't know who they are, though. Just mm. keep saying that over and over again. Very calm, cool, and collected. Even kind of lightly jokes with them. 
like, I'm sorry for wasting your time, guys. Kind of like that. Like, you know, like, it's just like, it was just very strange to watch. Um, I, to be fair, have not watched a lot of interrogations, so I don't really know how that normally plays out, but that was interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you have him dead to rights, really. I mean, we have Right, that's what they told him. They said, we have you dead to rights. And he was like, I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I don't know how that got on there. That's weird. Yeah, and uh, so most of the interrogation focused on the why did you do this, not did you do this, because, you know, with the discovery of all the women's photos in the home, it became clear that they might be looking at more victims and, again, have no leads to go on. Mm Mm-hmm. So he, he still refused to talk um, and ends up lawyering up, and that kind of ends the interrogation. Uh, that brings us into the pretrial phase. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to go into detail about the pretrial because it was so lengthy and so interesting, and just like kind of how the American criminal justice system works. Yeah. Um, I condensed it down because it was a six year. Five and a half, six year pretrial phase. Yeah. So from 2010, when he was arrested and arraigned, he went to he ends up going to trial in uh, 2016. Wow. Um. So he's represented by a pro bono legal team. He gets he has several lawyers that are representing him mm-hmm. for free, basically. Yeah. Well, they're like, ooh, big case. Big you know? case. I'm gonna make my name. Uh, you know, I want my name on this case type mm-hmm. of a thing. Uh, he's arraigned a month after he's arrested. So August. Uh, 2010, and he enters a not guilty plea to 10 counts of first degree murder and the one count attempted murder of Anitra Washington. Uh, the pretrial begins, and the main defense tactic is just delay, delay, delay. Um, let's delay the trial as long as possible. Uh, I, the theory and the thinking behind this is that as time went on, family members and witnesses are getting older, mm. they're not remembering. They're unfortunately passing away in some cases. Um, And they might not live to see the trial. So they actually might be able to poke holes in the case, right? Franklin himself was almost 60 when he was arrested. And uh, the stepmother of Barbara Ware, who was murdered in 1987, she's, uh, her name is Diane. She becomes a fixture kind of in the trial Mm -hmm. proceeding, the pretrial proceedings. She was almost 70 when Franklin was arrested, and Barbara Ware's father actually passed away not knowing what happened to his daughter and not being able to see the outcome. Uh, Diane would travel more than an hour each way on public transportation to attend every hearing and every pretrial, whatever, for years. And she would express her concerns to the press often that you know, the, the as the trial started to get, as the delays started to become really weary on the family, like, I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to live to see this through. What I want to do is be able to live to see this through. Yeah. Because she's almost 70 when she's arrested. She's going to be pushing late 70s today. Yeah. Um. And Franklin's lawyers, you know, they had a bunch of, they had some very interesting tactics for delays. Most of the delays were related to the defense not having enough time to process the evidence. So because of this and all the delays and all the requests, the prosecution, the defense bumped heads a lot in court. Oh, yeah, they I would bet. get pissed at each other. Mm-hmm. Um, the first major delay would be in June of 2011. They get a one-month delay where the defense criticizes the LAPD for releasing the photos of the women found in Franklin's home in an attempt to identify some of them. 
basically saying that that was unfairly tainting the jury by releasing all this information to the public. Right. Uh, they also requested more time because they said that they weren't done going through the evidence. And again, to be fair, this is evidence going back 20 plus years, right. hundreds of pieces of evidence, multiple victims. Um, at that pretrial hearing in August 2011, the defense is granted more time because now they want to hire an independent ballistics analyst to go through the gun evidence. Mm -hmm. And uh, so these small delays, like it's like at each trial, it's like, actually, now we want to do this. And then they do another hearing. Actually, now we want to do this. And we each time it's going to push it out a month and it or two. Or, a month, yeah. Two months. And that adds months. up very quickly. That basically goes on until August of 2013. So two years later. Um, so we're three years post-arrest, and the family is fed up with the stalling tactic. Uh, many of them are speaking to the press at this point. Um, like Barbara Ware's stepmom, like I said, she's concerned. She, she's, you know, she's losing hope that they're going to go to trial that year. She's mm -hmm. like, we're, we're looking at a 2014 trial date now in August of 2013. Right. So in December 2013, the defense is granted a six-month delay, which pushes you into mid-2014 at minimum. <sighs> um, they asked for permission to independently photograph over 900 pieces of evidence. And at this point, the judge is getting really fed up with the defense because she sees the game that's being played. Yeah. And it's kind of like, at some point, we're going to have to just get on with this. Uh, she took them to task over the delays. And she said, you know, I'm really going to start cracking down on this. Uh, in January 2014, and then this was the objection from the defense that I was waiting for. Uh, the judge rules the DNA evidence collected at John's Incredible Pizza in July 2010 admissible in court. That seems like to me one of their Hail Marys because that was obviously a huge point of contention, in my opinion. Yeah, but uh, what's kind of interesting is, you know, you have all these little delays. Like, they're bringing up all these things, and the judge, you know, is like, stop it. Yeah, the and judge then, is like, come on. <laughs> then they go for the DNA, which is something you probably would have to stop and, and talk about. Oh, yeah, you yeah. would be, like negligent if you didn't yeah so yeah. it's like hey, he's kind of smart too i hate to say oh it. I mean, he's a really smart defense attorney yeah he's the defense attorney i would want mm -hmm. um at least so far uh the defense challenges this decision for two reasons uh first they said that the plates were cleared from him like the the busboy slash undercover lapd officer mm -hmm. took the plate from him before he was done so like just went up and like snatched it from him. Yeah. Uh, it back, did he? <laughs> therefore, it was taken from him illegally. <laughs> An illegally pizza crust illegally seized. Um, <laughs> also, uh, the second reason that it was contested was Franklin says that he should have had a reasonable expectation of privacy, basically, that the plate would be taken and thrown away with the rest of the trash. Really? You think about your trash? Your pizza I don't crust? generally think about where yeah, my trash goes really... at a restaurant. Um, he says that he thought it would be thrown away in the trash and mixed together. Therefore, you would never be able to be like, pick his pizza crust out of the, all the other yeah. ones. Yeah. Moral of the story is you should all eat your pizza crust. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Franklin. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And, uh, he actually said in... Again, there's a video of this online. He said, uh, I felt like it would be mixed in with the rest of the trash. And you can hear the exasperated sighs Mm -hmm. from all the family members in the courtroom. And the judge basically rolled her eyes. She told the defense that they're ridiculous. Quote. Yeah. uh, No reasonable person would think about where their trash went uh, if they didn't think they were under surveillance. Yeah. That's what she said. So basically... He Boom. lost his expectation of privacy once the plates were taken from the table. Yep. So that that was the big, big piece of evidence that I was wondering how the defense was going to challenge that and what ruling was going to be made. I think the prosecution was also like, they need that evidence. Yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> that's their whole case, that evidence, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, so delays keep coming and take you straight through 2015, uh, a whole year later, basically, after the whole... DNA admissibility argument. Uh, prosecutors cite Marcy's law to try and force the trial forward. Now, Marcy's law is uh, a voter-approved amendment to California's constitution. It was voted in in 2008, mm. which is essentially a victim's bill of rights. So the same federal right that everyone in the United States is granted the right to a speedy trial. So right. they can't arrest you and arraign you for something and then just sit you in jail for years. That same right is given extended in California to the victims Mm -hmm. and again, to prevent the defense from doing from what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, From prolonging exactly what is going on, uh, trying to prevent, you know, pain and suffering from the family who have to take time off of work. Uh, the family testifies at the hearing that they're suffering emotionally and the trial interferes with their life because if they want to be there for the hearings, right. And, you know, a few times a month they're having to get down to downtown Los Angeles and relive, you know, one of the most horrible things that may have happened to them in their lives. Like, so they basically ask the judge to move the trial forward so they can start to move on because they haven't even gotten into the trial yet. So uh, the judge rules that jury selection is going to start in 2015 and that the trial itself is going to start in 2015 and she lays down the law and she's like, this is, it's going to start. Yeah. It's happening. We're, we're, we're doing it. Yeah. Like, uh, in 
September 2015, the defense pulls a maneuver which requires the prosecution to request a three-month delay. So less than a month before the trial date, I think it might have been something like two weeks before the trial was supposed to start, the defense provides a list of potential DNA that may have been present at the scenes based on their own processing of the evidence that casts reasonable doubt that maybe somebody besides Lonnie was at the crime scene forcing the prosecution uh, to have to vet that evidence because if not then that creates reasonable doubt and then they can't the convict case falls him apart. yeah without a, reason, without a reasonable I hate doubt to say I, it. I mean i no, i don't hate to say it. i take that back i think you know everybody's entitled to a vigorous defense and um that's pretty smart and that's vigorous yeah. i would say that's smart making the prosecution do it though i mean just one more oh, time it's like a one more delay fuck you to the prosecution it is yeah. um and at this point, the judge is pissed. And oh, she bet. reams the prosecution, or the, not the prosecution, I'm sorry. She reams the defense. Uh, she accuses them of sitting on this evidence and mm-hmm. pulling it out when they needed it uh, just to exactly get a last minute did. delay. She called the lead defense attorney a liar, oh. um, claiming, because he said, you know, I didn't willingly mislead anyone. And she said, you're a liar. So uh, that is a three month delay into the end of 2015. And then. <laughs> the defense had one more in them. In uh, November of 2015, the second chair of Franklin's defense, her name was Luisa Pensanti, she was ruled not eligible to practice by the state bar in California uh, because she did not pass an ethics exam she was supposed to take because she was brought up on accusations of professional misconduct. Unrelated to this case. Right. And she was basically like, you need to go take this course and this test mm-hmm. if you want to keep practicing. And she didn't do it. So her license to practice law expired. Accidentally. Accidentally. I forgot to do that, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, finally, January 2016, jury selection begins. And then on uh, February 16th, 2016, the trial begins. So. Six years. Six years. It's, yeah, like five and a half. But yeah, basically, yeah, I mean, six years. It's uh, of just little delay after delay after here, delay. Delay here. Yeah. Yeah. Impressive, to and say I was the least. Thinking the exact same word. That's funny. <laughs> Impressive, actually, though, with the uh, especially, I think, making the prosecution ask for that last one. Oh my gosh. You know, because what's the judge going to do? The prosecution yeah. hasn't been asking for anything. And, well, and, and yeah. they have to, otherwise, their case falls apart. You have yeah. to grant it. You, you have, have to. to. And yeah. then. Whether or not that um, second chair of his defense (laughs) let that exam sort of pass on purpose or not, who knows? Oh, I don't think you'll ever know, but interesting to think about. Um, Yeah, so great. After five and a half years, trial begins. Right. So we have a jury of seven women and five men, uh, like I said, opening statements on February 16th. Uh, the courtroom was packed with family members. The Black Coalition fighting back serial murders and Margaret Prescott, they're in attendance. Um, I kind of want to break down the arguments because for as long as the pretrial phase was, the trial itself was like three months long, Mm -hmm. if that. It might have been less. Um, So for the defense, for all their delays to vet this evidence so vigorously, they presented a fairly simple case uh, they presented a theory of a mystery man that was actually responsible for the murders. They didn't provide a name for this other suspect. Um, they didn't provide any evidence that implicated somebody else. Mm-hmm. 
they just said it must have been somebody else. And then they spent the rest of their time poking holes in the prosecution's case. Franklin didn't take the stand, uh, which means he wasn't cross-examined by the prosecution. Um, But for the prosecution, their argument was interesting. Uh, They relied first on the legality of the familial DNA search that they used to draw the family tree to Mm. investigate Franklin. And we talked about that in the last episode, just kind of the legal ethical gray areas around that right uh they also relied heavily on the evidence collected at the pizza place so that big ruling that where uh he tried to lonnie franklin tried to say that his pizza was taken from him against his will yeah (laughs) um so uh, they relied on the admissibility of that evidence as Mm -hmm. well and with that they kind of have a slam dunk case yeah here's his dna here's your dna DNA. (laughs) and here's a dna on the bodies and it really became a question of, you know, what else do we not know about him? Because um, we didn't know so much for so long. I also, when I was researching kind of how the case played out, jotted down some other notable things that came out during the trial that I thought were interesting. Um, evidence that from the prosecution, actually uh, picture evidence that they took from his garage where he had the more like explicit and disturbing pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were pictures of Anitra Washington bleeding and unconscious in the seat of his Pinto recovered from his house. Um, Really? Photos of Janisha Peters, who was the 2007 victim that prompted the creation of the 800 task force, uh, were also found in his home. Anitra Washington got her day in court. Uh, She got to testify against him uh, and she positively IDs him in the courtroom as the man who shot her and left her for dead 20 plus years before. Uh, another interesting thing, the, the trajectory of the gunshot wounds to the victims were consistent with a passenger, someone sitting in the passenger seat, being mm-hmm. shot by somebody in the driver's seat. Interesting. Yeah. That is consistent with the story that Anitra told the police in 1988 that she was sitting in the passenger seat yeah. and he shot her. Um, which, again, for all the, you know, what a traumatic event for her to remember all of this so clearly yeah. is really amazing. Um the prosecution also tells the court that the police have reason to believe that there are at least five more victims. Uh, they don't add them on as extra charges in this trial because they cite, you know, the lengthy pretrial phase. Yeah. Um, and, and respect for the families to, to not drag this out, let's keep it separate type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go into the five. Three of them had similar... MOs. In 1984, Georgia Mae Thomas uh, was 43. She was found shot and killed with the same 25 caliber weapon found in his home. Now, 1984 would be the year before his first victim, uh, his first victim, Deborah Jackson, was found right. in August 1985. So now we're going back, back further. Mm-hmm. Um, Inez Warren, who's 28, and Sharon Dismuke, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, 21, were both found shot and their bodies were dumped in a similar fashion to other victims. Now, these women were found during his, quote, sleeping period. So Uh, the stretch between 88 and 2002, which brings the question, was he ever sleeping? Right. Uh, There's also evidence in his home of two more victims. Uh, Rolenia Morris is 31. Uh, mother of two when she disappeared in 2005 
She's never been found, but her driver's license and a picture of her were recovered from Franklin's home, from his garage. Mm. Ayala Marshall was 18 when she disappeared in 2006. Uh, she's also never been found, but um, her high school ID card was recovered in Franklin's home. Yeah, it's like, why would he have right. those two things? Yeah. Uh, this, plus the other unidentified women, uh, lead the police to believe that there are many more victims that we just don't know about, and he may never have actually been sleeping. The bodies just haven't been discovered yet. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us to the close of the trial. Like I said, it was short. Uh, it ends on May 4th, 2016. Uh, that's when it goes to jury deliberation. They didn't reach a verdict on day one, but on day two, they return uh, a guilty verdict. Ten counts of first degree murder. Uh, one guilty count on, uh, sorry, a guilty on the one count of attempted murder of Anitra Washington. And then it goes to sentencing. Now, this was the big thing. Was he going to be sentenced to life in prison or was he going to be sentenced to death? Uh, During the sentencing phase, the jurors heard from the friends and family of the victims for over an hour. Um, Again, there's video of this on YouTube. Many of the family members recounted their favorite memories with their loved ones. And just the, the overall theme was just the sadness that... They were such wonderful people, and their potential was never fully realized because they were so young. Yeah, and you took them. And and their lives were cut short, you know, and, and people missed them so much. There were people who came up there and said, you know, I never met my aunt, whoever, but I've grown up, you know, we've grown up wondering what happened to her. Mm-hmm. She's always been kind of present in our household, even though she's been gone for so many years. So... Uh, Nietzsche Washington actually also spoke again at the sentencing. Um, and she, you know, testified and then spoke again. Again, she's a very strong woman. She's an amazing woman. Yeah. I, I can't imagine. I mean, and I'm so glad she was able to be there at yeah, the trial. Yeah, see this through. Yeah, yeah, see it through. Cause... Same. I, yeah. Uh, the defense attorney asked uh, the jury to spare Lonnie Franklin the death penalty. Now, I found his reasoning ironic. Now... Regardless of how you feel about the death penalty, right? I'm personally against it. Yeah. But he, he being the defense attorney, asked the jury to consider what the impact of a lengthy and impending execution date would have on the families and the victims. That's got some gall to say that, given that given you, the six-year delay, six-year delay you put trial? them through yeah. pre-trial. Yeah. Yeah, I found that um, ironic. I mean, you have to ask of course but i mean yeah but really see i don't know if i'd be able to do that and look people in the eye and be like so <laughs> you don't want to put them through a lengthy you know death penalty right. appeals and really it's just like a lengthy pretrial that you yeah, did I would, yeah yeah hmm. god uh he's a defense attorney junior's job though i will say it I is mean, yes it yeah. is um and we do need that mm. so uh june 6 2016 the jury recommends the death sentence for lonnie franklin jr um, so again, recent, so recent. Yeah. Uh, he's formally sentenced to death on August 10th, 2016. Now that will be 31 years to the day that Deborah Jackson's body was discovered in 1985. Wow. Uh, at the sentencing, all the victims' names were read out loud to the court, which I thought was kind of nice. You know, they yeah. went kind of ignored for so long that they do finally get their day get of acknowledgement yeah. in court. 
death row inmates in California are all incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison in Marin County. So. I didn't know that. that they're, so yes. all death row? Uh, yeah, executions take place there too, actually. So okay. he's going to spend the rest of his life in San Quentin. Yeah, uh, side note, not too far from us. No, just yeah. across the, across the just bridge. Just a jaunt across the bay. Yeah. Um, we also just wanted to read the list of victims again because I think for so long they went, you know, ignored. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we could just have one more list of them again. Yeah. Uh, we had Deborah Jackson, Henrietta Wright, Barbara Ware, Bernita Sparks, Mary Lowe. Lucretia Jefferson, Alex, Alice, I'm sorry, Alice Alexander, uh, Anitra Washington, Princess Berthamu, Valerie McCorvey, and then Janisha Peters. So leading into our final thoughts, <laughs> I have so many. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's such a, this case is so, um, well, it's frustrating and interesting and um, I'm glad he's frustrated. Frustrated, yeah. Frustrating. Frustrating. Um, but just the fact that LAPD just completely, in my opinion, did nothing. Bombed. Did nothing. I think you had one job. Yeah, you had one job, LAPD. But I mean, if you just flash back to, you know, I'm just going to keep going back, not only to the, you know, because the women that had died, but you have Anitra Washington, right, a survivor, who gave you the most detailed account you had a car you had a sketch you had the the bullets yeah and you did nothing with that absolutely nothing for 20 years not even a sketch you couldn't even just throw the sketch out on tv and go has anybody seen this man right um you know could they have caught him you know but maybe they didn't try is the problem why i truly believe that if this had been investigated if you know Newport Beach. This is happening in Newport. Right. Or, you know, 20 miles north, 20 miles south, whatever. Uh, You're going to see maybe not as many victims because I think it would have been investigated Mm -hmm. a little more vigorously. And they may have been able to catch on to leads that then went cold and became useless because it didn't really, you know, go anywhere at the time. You know, time passes and, you know, leads get, you know, narrower and narrower, basically. Yeah. I don't think there would have been as many victims. I mean, you can't say for sure. And there's a reason why he picked that area to, you know, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, some people would say you don't want to, you know, you wouldn't do that in the area that you live. It's kind of, but obviously he knew he could because these cases aren't getting investigated. He did it for years, decades without getting caught. He could, he knew he could get away with it because the police aren't going to, um, you know, do anything about it. Right. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> they clearly haven't. Um, you know, so I don't know if it was investigated properly from day one. Um, gosh, I mean, honestly, though, you can go all the way back to the military. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he raped someone in Germany and he spent less than a year in jail, like, and then they put him back on the streets pretty much. I mean. Yeah. And he went to go flourish in South Central Los Angeles. Right. It's, um. So I don't know. I don't know what you think, but if, if the case had been properly investigated from day one, oh, I, I don't. They I, might have been able to catch. I think him. they might have been able to catch yeah. him sooner. Catch and, a break anyway. Or catch a break. Yeah, you wouldn't have to be, you know, twenty years out and not have any lead at all, and then have to conduct this familial database search. And what if that had led nowhere? Yeah. What if they didn't have a hit? You know. So 
that's why I'm so conflicted on the familial the familial DNA search because on one hand I'm like I'm so glad that they caught him on the other hand I'm like this you know at, at what cost type of it's thing it's a slippery slope it's yeah a slip, yes it's a slippery slope like I yeah because it is good it's good they got him but um imagine you don't want if they investigated it properly on the forefront would they at, at the beginning would they have had to go down this road and you can't rely on that, I don't think. I think it's, again, a slippery slope to rely on just if maybe one of their sons, cousins, uncles is in, you know, yeah. a database somewhere because he got arrested Well, time. and if we get used to the idea that everybody should be giving up their DNA to the police, you know, even if they were just arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, it's then, really scary. It is, yeah, because like I, like I said before, I mean, people, we're not, we don't live in a perfect society. We have a Fourth Amendment for a reason. Right. The founding fathers figured that was a good idea, knowing that we didn't want. And I feel like that's a, that is an illegal, you know, search. Right. Um, to search you because they found my DNA, you know, my DNA, but I'm not in the database. But hey, you know, that leads to, you know, uh, Colleen. I mean, you know, just for example. But and I don't think that's okay that you're under surveillance. All of a sudden, a potential suspect just because you happen to be related to me. Uh, not to mention you're taking my DNA for something I didn't do wrong. And what was that? 62%, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. People who were arrested and had their DNA taken never were charged for with right. anything. So yeah, I. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like I could go on forever about this. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, in terms of whether or not he was ever actually sleeping, if he's the grim sleeper, I don't think so. I don't. Think I, so. He worked for city sanitation. He had unfettered access to landfills. Mm-hmm. I think. I think we just don't know. Bodies the are never recovered, and they may never be recovered. Yeah, I think he got maybe smarter. Quote after Anitra survived, if mm-hmm. he knew she survived. I think he got maybe a smarter, a little more careful, wasn't going to just dump people on the street anymore. Yeah, and L.A. probably, you know, helped him out quite a bit by not even investigating things mm. until later. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. And, again, you know, working... He, sanitation. Sanitation. Yep. You can, yeah, I I think that might be, especially in the interrogation, you kind of see, once they see who he is, and they're like, oh, my God, we, we might have, like, a big problem on our hands here. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of like actual true number of victims so so yeah i doubt there was a break um, i don't think so yeah i don't think so but yeah you know, especially with know. the uh the five that the prosecution brought up brought up it's like, how early was he killing mm-hmm. in south los angeles right yeah there's that too yeah so, so we're like oh we have pre-1985 killing now and we have well, 74 right it was just a you know in the military too in i mean the 70s, so yeah it's not his first rodeo. No, sure. I don't think so at yeah. all. Which again is really unfortunate. Um, well, I thought this case. Um, I'm very glad he's in jail. Now. Me too. Um, but it's a hell of a story. It is. I, I'm glad the living family members and Anitra can finally feel like they have some justice after all they've been through. Same with this. Yeah. So that is kind of the. I mean, it's not a happy ending, but it's a. I think a good ending. At least as it's good something. As it can be, you yeah, know? it's something. So um, I think that wraps us up for today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, you can visit our website, misconductpodcast.com, to leave your thoughts and comments on today's case. Any links to further reading and other content, such as the YouTube videos, etc., will be posted below the episode. 
uh, Misconduct is available on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can also visit our Facebook and Instagram pages. Please visit the website for those links. As always, if you'd like to email suggestions for an upcoming episode, you can do so via the website. We will see you next episode. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.